Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Monday, September 26th, the Struggle Care Edition. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom of three littles, Henry, who's 10, Oliver, who's 8, and Teddy, who's 5. We live in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer, contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding Parenting column, and mom to Naima, who is nine, and we live in Los Angeles. And I'm Casey Davis. I wrote How to Keep House While Drowning, and I run a TikTok channel at the handle Domestic Blisters, and I have a two and a four-year-old. You guys, we are so excited to have Casey Davis back with us to chat about her book, How to Keep House While Drowning. But first, we are diving into our mailbag. Last week, Zach shared how his daughter found her art in the trash can, so then he felt super guilty and pulled the art out of the garbage and is now saving it indefinitely. Thankfully, y'all had a lot of advice. Hello, mom and dad are fighting. Something that works well for our family regarding artwork and schoolwork in general is that on Fridays, we have a group photography session where we take pictures of everything that was done that week in school. The pieces that we are interested in saving go into a sheet protector, which is then kept in a binder. We use the two inch binder for our daughter and it has four years worth of memories, including not only schoolwork, but copies of school photos, her yearly sheet of stamps that she gets from her grandpa, along with letters to Santa, etc. We've enjoyed very much every once in a while looking through the binder together as a family. Another listener had this to say. Just heard the episode where you threw it all out. There is a good solution to help. Archive. It gives you a box, and I just throw all the artwork in, and then one time per year, I will go through it and throw out a good chunk. But then the rest you send, and the service will photograph it and make a book, a poster, or whatever. Saving the artwork means I see progression of those little things, like the character they draw over and over again, or steadiness in signing their name. You lose this when you sort the artwork straight away. Lastly, the obvious space saver of a single book versus mountains of art collages But getting to sit down with your kid after a year or two and share their stories and yours is something you can't recreate when it all goes in the trash. So don't throw it out. Put it in an archive box. P.S. I do not work or have any affiliation to the service. Just a mom that was so happy to have a solution to the same problems you all shared. Well, Casey, we thought it would be nice to have you weigh in on the kids' growing art piles. Even with all this evidence, I'm still firmly team throw it out. But what do you think? We have a little bulletin board with probably like six or eight little like clamps. And so when she brings home a and she's now the age where like every Friday, big old stack of art comes home. And so like I will ask her, like, let's pick one of these to put up on the bulletin board. And she'll pick the one that she likes and it'll go up on the bulletin board. And then like I just wait a couple of days and then I say, like, hey, are we done with these? And she'll say yes or no. And I just ask until she says yes and then I throw it away maybe I'll regret that but I just I don't know I think these are both very good like this is the sort of parenting I aspire to I'm like I want to put stuff in a binder you know like the archive I might be able to do archive I've got a a box of art from over the years um, that at some point even though it's like completely unorganized I don't know what years from you know like what's from kindergarten what's from first grade at this point but um I think at some point, maybe throwing that in the archive box work. I love both of these, especially the weekly binder. I'm like, if only if I if I if my brain works that way every week, I would do the same thing. 
I know. I'm I'm impressed by the weekly photography sessions too. And I mean, honestly, mm-hmm. when I read both of these, I thought, yeah, but I have three kids, <laughs> which is not an excuse. I'm like, now I got three books. I agree. I aspire yeah. to be this like organized, but I'm still just gonna throw it out. Well, listeners, as always, you can always submit your comments, advice, or questions. We absolutely love them. As you know, you can email us at slate.com. Let's take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to dive right into talking with Casey about her book. All right. We are back and excited to chat with Casey about her book, How to Keep House While Drowning, A Gentle Approach to Organizing and Cleaning. On the advice of a friend, I read the book and recommended it on the show a few weeks ago, and as I mentioned before, I was just blown away, and I think a lot of our listeners could really benefit from some of your approach, too. So I'm a big reader of books that some classify as self-help, and I just have to say, your book is incredibly user-friendly. Like, I knew I was going to like it the minute I opened it, and it was like, if you only have an hour, here's how to read this book. (laughs) Yeah, I think that it, it's tricky writing a book about how to survive when you're overwhelmed because the people who want to get that information are overwhelmed and they probably don't want to want or can't read a book. <laughs> that is often true for me. <laughs> you spend some time talking about this idea of shifting the focus of care tasks from moral to functional. Can you mm-hmm. talk about that and why that's so important? So I think when it comes to like housekeeping and care tasks in general, particularly for women and mothers, we've really been socialized as a culture to believe that our ability to do care tasks is really, really closely aligned with our identity and our worth. So it feels like a good mom has a clean home, a valid adult, you know, has their laundry folded, and and all these other kind of messages that we sometimes get from family and culture at large. And I find that sometimes the frustration behind, you know, oh, I can't keep up is around this idea that I believe that I am a broken failure if I don't get all these things done. The amount of us that feel shame, which is like an interesting emotion to feel about like laundry. (laughs) Like if you're going to tell me you like hit somebody and ran away and you feel shame, I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. I'd be like, you know, I screamed at my kid and I feel so ashamed to be like, yeah, man, makes sense. I had an affair and I feel so ashamed. Totally. I, you know, took my shopping cart way out and I just didn't want to put it back and I left it for somebody else. And I feel a little ashamed about that. I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. For someone to be like, I didn't do my dishes last night and I'm so ashamed. It's kind of like, wait, what? Like one of these things is not like the other. And I think it's because we have been raised to believe that if you struggle with things like showering or laundry or dishes, that the reason must be that you're lazy You're lazy and irresponsible and immature. And who would love someone like that? Our relationship to our home and to care tasks in general is really profound and has a profound effect on our mental health. So how do we break up with that shame? How do we stop judging ourselves based on our ability to keep our household together? Well, I think it starts with that awareness, right? Like, where did I get this message? And I think that switch away from, okay, it's not about being right, wrong, good, or bad. 
what we're switching to is this idea that you are a person that deserves to function. Like you deserve to have a clean dish to eat off tomorrow. You deserve to come down your stairs and walk into a space that is setting you up for success. Walk into a space where you can make your kids breakfast and put their clothes on and get yourself ready and that you're not experiencing this overwhelming stress because the space isn't functional to that, right? Like when I pull that sippy cup out from underneath whatever piece of furniture I pulled it and I'm walking to the sink and I know what I am about to find. I know I'm about to open it up and rinse chunky milk out of this nasty thing, right? And um, there are some reasons why like functionally that's not great because number one, Time is always pressed in the morning. So now I got to spend extra time making sure it's like very, very well hand washed. Maybe I have a kid that's hungry that's going to whine during that. It's going to stress me out to listen to the whining. Like there's a functional reason for me to maybe take a moment the night before and go find all the sippy cups and load them into the dishwasher and run it. And it can stress me out to not have fu- something functional. But there's this extra layer where if we pull it out and we think, oh, God, Casey, you've done it again. Ugh, why can't you get it together? You know, other moms aren't letting stuff go like this. You're so disgusting. You know, how could you not take care of the things that your kids need? You're such a bad mom and you're opening it and you're going, I can't believe I failed again. You know, that is such a big part of the distress we experience in our homes. And so when we are able to say, okay, I understand that I'm experiencing that. I understand these messages I'm giving to myself, but just opening the door to recognizing that that's not objective truth. Like that's a message that we've received at some point and we can either choose to keep it or not. Then we can begin focusing on what is the functional reason. And so there is a functional reason to for that sippy cup, sippy cup to go into the dishwasher. But the nice thing about that is that there are sometimes evenings where I'm sick or I'm stressed or there's something really good going on where I'm going to prioritize that thing over going and hunting down the sippy cups. And because the sippy cup is just functional – I'm allowed to prioritize it anywhere I want in my list of priorities. Some days it's the top priority because I do want my home to be functional for the morning. Other days it's at the bottom because somebody's sick or somebody's celebrating or I'm just freaking tired and I deserve to clock out without having to do every little thing. But there's no value judgment in where I'm putting that sort of in that list of priorities when I believe that I deserve to function, my kids deserve to function. It just gives you so much freedom to be able to live your life according to your values instead of the outside pressure of what will my mother-in-law think if she sees this. I found freedom saying like, okay, for me, the visual clutter on the main floor is a problem because when I get down there in the morning and that's where we homeschool, I do not care what happens in the upstairs playroom. So why am I picking it up every night? Why every night am I stressing out about all of this stuff being back? Um, And Also then congratulating myself on those functions, like, yes, all my dishes, I may have dishes that are not washed, but I have clean dishes to put food on. Yeah. So those dishes don't necessarily need to be washed. My kids have the clothes they need clean for school. 
Mount Wash does not need to be completely finished, right? Because those expectations will net my, I have five people living in this house. The laundry is never done. <laughs> like the idea that my laundry should be done. That is a great, like, I cannot meet that. We're all wearing clothes right now. You know? Yeah, there's no it's such like thing so as done. Crazy. <laughs> yes. I found freedom in this idea. You talk about like cleaning versus tidying versus organized. And once I was able to see my house as like, no, I'm I'm organized. Everything has a place. It doesn't always have to be in that place for me to feel like, yes, I am organized, right? Because that's a, it's important to me that my house be organized. I was confusing that with being like tight, that, that neat meant organized, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. So can you talk a little bit about why that distinction is so important? Anytime I talk to someone and they say, oh, I have so much trouble with cleaning, like I am someone who it takes me hours and hours to clean my room or hours and hours to clean my house. Most of the time what's happening is that you have someone who is trying to clean, tidy, and organize all at the same time. And they're actually different tasks. Tidying is literally just five things. Like if you go into a room and you see that it's messy, which just means that things are kind of all over the place. If you throw away all of the trash and then put all of the laundry into a laundry basket, take all of your dishes to the sink, put away all the things that have a place, and then take everything that doesn't have a place and either find a place for it or frankly, just put it in a box. Your space is now tidy. It's tidy. Now it's tidy, right? Like you have space to move and function and do the things that you need to do organizing is deciding, you know, it doesn't really make a lot of sense that I'm keeping the the, uh, cleaning supplies in this closet because I mostly use them on this floor. And so when I'm organizing, the question I always ask myself is, if I needed this item, where in my house would I go to look for it? And then I go to that place and I go, okay, let me find a permanent home. Like organizing is about finding permanent homes for all of your things that makes enough sense to you that you know where it is when you go to look for it. And then cleaning are the things that we think of, of like, you know, spraying some sort of cleaner down and scrubbing up uh, gunk off the table, sweeping, mopping, those sort of things, Right. They can't all happen at the same time because in order to organize, you have to take everything out. But in order to tidy, you have to put everything away. And in order to clean, you have to have things put away and sometimes moved like halfway put away so that you can access a space. But then you have to move the things out of their space. You can clean the space that they're in. And so you can see how this happens. And then, you you know, you walk into another room and you get distracted or whatever. When I think about my space, you know, I don't even say like, oh, I need to clean my kitchen. I typically go with language like I need to reset my kitchen because it's not functional right now. Right. So, and so my kitchen is not functional when maybe there's so many dishes in the sink that I don't really have good access to the sink or if I've got fruit flies or if there's not enough space on my countertop to make food or to do a hobby or if I'm like sort of stepping on little bits of things. And so, like, you could clean a kitchen for hours and there'd still be more to clean, but resetting my kitchen is probably a list of four things that I can do in 25 minutes. And so it it makes it more, it's less ambiguous, it's a finite list, it's not overwhelming, um, and just sort of recognizing the differences in those things can be really helpful. 
For example, we use the blender every morning. And after reading your book, I literally was like, why am I putting the blender away every day just to get it back out? Which I know doesn't take me a lot of time, but it means that I have to wash, hand dry it, right? Like that is something in my head that felt like, well, the kitchen is not clean from breakfast until I have put this blender away, right? All of a sudden, I was like, no, I just need to find a space on the counter. Putting this away, like that, I made that up, that yeah. a clean kitchen does not have a blender on a, on the counter that I use every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think thinking, like approaching, like you said, the words matter. That's where I felt like I just felt seen, like, oh my gosh, this is, if I eliminate enough of these little things, I've eliminated this burden and given myself 10 more minutes. Yeah, you know? it, when you said like, oh, I know it's not a big thing. It is. And and I think it's interesting whenever, because I get that all the time, like, well, it would take you two seconds just to put it away. And it's like, yeah, if that was the only thing in my life that needed putting away today, that'd be fine. <laughs> but like that stuff adds up. And every parent knows that like you don't have enough time. And the reality is, is that, I mean, it's kind of misogynistic because like I know for a fact there are men being paid six-figure salaries to shave two seconds off of production times in companies like Amazon and Apple, right? But somehow bringing that type of creativity and drive to your sort of domestic sphere is somehow like, ugh, just do it the right way. And I'm like, what? there is no right way. A, if it functions, it's right. B, what do you, what, just don't get better. Don't get more efficient. Don't carve out more time for myself. That seems ridiculous to me. How did you find time to write a book? Uh, I didn't clean my house very often. I get a lot of like hate comments on it's, it's actually better now. Um, but for a long time, I got a lot of hate comments about how messy my house was. Oh wow! And a lot of those comments of like, you know, if you just spent a little more time, you could have your laundry put up. If you just spent a little more time, like you wouldn't have to have things on the counters. If you just spent a little more time, you wouldn't have a messy playroom. And I'm like, yeah, no, no, I'm clear. Like I'm super clear. But like, when do you think I got the time to write a book? Like that time had to come from somewhere. You don't, you can't make more time. It's a limited resource. Mm -hmm. And I was unwilling to cut out like my rest time. Mm. Like since my kids were born, I've always rested when they nap. Like I don't Mm. do productive things during their nap time. And when they go to bed, I often will spend like some time doing something like that. And then I'll be like, nope, I'm clocking out now. And so when it came down to like, okay, I want to write this book. So I could like write it during nap times and I could do it. And it was like, no, I'm unwilling to do that. I'm going to cut something else. So I'm going to stop folding my laundry. I love that. So how does this show up in your relationship? Um, What kind of conversations do you have with your partner about how to divide labor? Do you both have a similar approach to getting things done around the house? So usually when partners are talking about division of labor, I think we tend to start with, okay, well, how much do you work? And then how much do I work? And then we'll decide who should take on what around the house. It's not very productive because it's often comparing apples to oranges. I think when we get into a conversation with our partners about, well, who works more, we've kind of already lost because we're in a defensive position of having to defend how much we're doing. Um, and, and so what I like to say is that it doesn't matter, um, who works more, right? I'm not trying to make the work equal. I'm, we're trying to make the rest fair. And this opens up what I think is a much more 
um, nuanced and important conversation, particularly with parents. Because you could compare hour to hour to hour, but unless you're having that explicit conversation about, okay, but as the default parent, I I can't just walk out of the door on a Saturday when I decide I want to work out. Like I have to like file HR paperwork two weeks in advance to make sure you're going to be here, right? You can't just say, okay, you be in charge of, you know, paying the bills and setting up appointments and you know, like things that can be done like kind of on their own time and then say like, and I'll be responsible for dishes and laundry and lunches, which are like things that are going to demand you do them when they're ready to be done. You can't, even people that are in sort of like a traditional gender roles, maybe like one partner is working outside the home and one person is caretaking at home. There is a very big difference between a job, no matter how demanding that you can clock out of and a job where you are consistently on call 24-7, engaging in cyclical care tasks that never end. And so in order for someone who is, you know, doing a lot of care tasks to rest, the other person is going to need to step in and be able to do some care tasks. And they're going to have to decide together that sometimes good enough is perfect so that we can both sit down and rest. And We have to make sure that the rest is fair. It is not fair for one partner to always be on call, to have a list so long that they can never sit down because the list is never done, and another partner that can get everything on their list done and still be able to clock out or have lots of time for rest and recreation and time autonomy. So there's just all that to say, there's a lot more dynamics that need to look at for an equitable division of labor than just a list of who's taking out the trash. You know, it's easy to talk about who's going to take out the trash, who's going to unload the dishwasher, who's going to sweep the floor. But are you talking about who's responsible for Christmas magic? Who's responsible for your kids? Yeah, your kids' (laughs) mental health. Who's responsible for RSVPing to birthday parties and then going and getting a gift and then wrapping it and then, you know, making sure that there's transportation to that gift and then going and socializing with those parents. It, it's the whole thing. It's not, okay, I'll just take some list that my partner gave me and like leave her or him to know all of the mental labor required to actually carry that task out. I think that's such a good point. And, uh, and uh, we're going to end here. But Casey, I definitely want you to shout out where people can find your work because your book is amazing and everyone should go get it. But um, I think like your TikTok, your Instagram, all of that, I would love to share too, because it is kind of all of this in quick digestible bites. And that may just be where people are. Sure. So I'm on TikTok at Domestic Blisters. I'm on Instagram at Struggle Care, and my website is strugglecare.com, which is a great jumping off point to find the book, to find the podcast, to find the social media channels. Uh, my podcast is called Struggle Care as well. Well, Casey, I'm so glad you could be here to give us some advice and a little jumping off point. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll have recommendations. It's finally time for recommendations. Jamila, what are you recommending for us this week? This week, I'm recommending The Woman King, um, starring Viola Davis. We saw it last weekend when it opened. It's really good. Um, It is violent. It's definitely not for small children, but I thought it was a really, um, it's a complicated story. I think it's well told, very well acted, and you should check it out. Did you, did Naima see it? 
She did see it. And she liked it, yeah. She liked it, yeah. She had to look away a few times. Um, but, you know, I, I think she was able to handle it. That's awesome. Casey, what are you recommending? I am going to recommend the podcast maintenance phase. I've gotten to the point where, like, anytime I need to do laundry or dishes or put on my makeup or, like, pick up, I'm like, if I have a podcast in my little, like, wireless earbuds, all of a sudden it's tolerable. And uh, (laughs) maintenance phase is my favorite podcast right now. Awesome. I am recommending Science Comics. They are graphic novels about a variety of science topics. They've been a huge hit here, and I love because they're accessible to all of the kids I have here. Um, The five-year-old, like, the pictures are enough to kind of tell the story, and he can read enough of the little words, and um, they're kind of fun to read to him. But you can, whatever your kid is into, they have a book on it. Oliver is dying over the science comics um, about cats. So (laughs) I'm sure you can find one for your kiddos. You can, of course, check them out at the library or buy them at your local bookstore and that's it for our show we'll be back in your feeds on thursday so be sure to tune in while you're at it please subscribe to the show and give us a rating and review on apple or spotify this episode of mom and dad are fighting is produced by rosemary belson and christy tywo mackinjula for jamila lemieux and casey davis i'm elizabeth newcamp thanks for listening